0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, February 22nd, we are studying Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. In today's text, St. Paul calls upon the Galatians to bear each other's burdens in the midst of sin and its temptations, and he encourages them in the good works that the Holy Spirit has given them help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor David Vandercook. Pastor Vandercook serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and Shepherd of Peace Lutheran Church in Maumelle, Arkansas. Pastor Vandercook, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good to be with you again. Is Galatians your favorite epistle, Pastor Vandercook? You know, I hadn't really thought about it ahead of time,
1: but uh, I, I do like Galatians. Yeah, that's good.
0: Um, <laughs> So sure. (laughs) Lots lots of Lutherans, it seems like, the book of Galatians because of the warm place that Martin Luther had in, in his heart for Galatians, so... I've just been throwing it out there just to see. So it's fine if it is, and it's fine if it isn't. If it isn't. So, well,
1: unfortunately, I, I think probably if I had to pick my favorite, it would probably be Romans, actually. But uh, That's but,
0: a, a quality contender, to be sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Very good. So as, as we think about the our section of Galatians 6, what should we know about this epistle and the context leading up to it to help us with our text?
1: Well, a recurring theme in Galatians is that the Galatians are falling back into, or are being tempted to fall back into Judaism in some way. You have groups of people that are coming in and trying to kind of undo what uh, Saint Paul has taught them, and that's kind of his frustration really throughout the first four and a half chapters of the book. is just all about how, hey, why are you why are you falling back into this idea of works righteousness over and against justification by grace alone through faith alone, um, and so. That's kind of setting the table then for that uh, that you have this this uh, this freedom that the Christians have because of what Christ has done for them. But then the second half of chapter five, which is is not of course our topic for today, but it you know, leads into chapter six of course, is that you have these um, desires of the flesh and desires of the spirit that are opposed to each other that now that we have been justified, that changes uh, what our desires are as God's people. and so, Uh, chapter 5, into chapter 5, and then into chapter 6, we're discussing more of uh, what the life of the Christian ought to look like.
0: And we we talked a little bit about this in the previous text, as as well as, you know, kind of leading up into especially chapter 5, that Paul will talk a lot about this thought of freedom that Christians have. And on the one hand, much of Galatians deals with freedom from the law, freedom from sin, and now we're really dealing a lot more with this thought of what what it's freedom for. So freedom for, as we said in the last text, the fruit of the spirit. In today's text, more of this freedom for the the good works. Can you dig into that thought a little bit more for us? This idea of being freed from things and freed for things as well.
1: Yeah, free. You know, freedom from the law is obviously the idea that uh, no longer are we um, bound to. Uh, keep the law as means of, of salvation, although it was never really the case. But um, that's the way that it was being taught anyway. Was that the, the way to be um, the way to be saved was to was through obedience to the law? Uh, and now we are free from that because of Christ and because of his uh, fulfilling of the law, both his his passive fulfillment of the law, that is suffering the wrath of God uh, on our behalf uh, for our sins, uh, and then also. Uh, his active um, keeping of the law that he um, uh, that is that he fulfilled it perfectly. He, you know, we go through the Ten Commandments and we say, well, we've broken all of them. Well, Jesus kept all of them. Jesus kept all of the law perfectly. So now uh, we are no longer bound by the law to keep it for the sake of uh, being saved, but rather, we're free to keep the law, um, because our desires are changed by the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit reorients our thinking to where uh, now we are free to do what is in the law, because that's actually what the converted man desires to do. Uh, and we do it not for our own sake of you know trying to uh, please God, but rather for the sake of our neighbor instead.
0: All right, so with those thoughts in mind, let's jump into our section of Galatians chapter 6. We're beginning at verse 1 this morning. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That is our text for today, Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 to 10. Pastor Vandercook is St. Paul begins in this section. He addresses the Galatians as brothers once again, and he says, "If if anyone is caught in any transgression, he gives instructions for that." Take us into the the situation that Paul has in mind here.
1: Yeah, uh, there's there's kind of two different ways this this could be taken. Either um, the that word there that's translated "caught" uh, can kind of have two different emphases to it. It could either be the idea that Uh, and probably the more likely, is that we're talking about um, somebody who is caught off guard by uh, either, you know, falls into temptation, or it could also be translated that somebody who is caught, like you got caught red-handed doing something bad, you know. Uh, But really the, the context here seems to suggest the idea that somebody has fallen into sin. And what follows is instructions for what do we do when we have somebody that's fallen into sin? Um, and, uh, that can be, uh, you know, especially in a, in a world today that doesn't like to, uh, be, doesn't like to be labeled as judgmental, uh, that can get a little bit dicey on how we handle that. How, how is it that we handle the person that's fallen into temptation? Uh, and that's really what Paul kind of gets into here is that how do we handle that? How, you know, when, when somebody that is, uh, and here we're talking specifically about other people within the congregation that's important to note here too throughout this whole thing that paul is talking about how we deal with the um the brother christian that has fallen into sin we're not really dealing with um those outside of the church in this in this whole section it's dealing with how do we deal with our fellow believers who have fallen into sin who have fallen into temptation
0: Okay, so we're dealing with a fellow Christian who has fallen into temptation. He's been caught up in this transgression. And this text is a part of the answer to this, Pastor Vanderkook, but just to kind of take that step back and make the case for why we should care. You know, As you said, we live in a world that that doesn't want to be judgmental, that makes accusations against those who are judgmental. Uh, this text is a part of the answer as to the why we care about this, but but just broadly speaking from the Scriptures, why why do we need to be judgmental in this case, and, and when someone is caught up in a sin, we need to take care of them?
1: Jesus sums up the law using two words, or sums it up with two laws. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, uh, you know, to give the illustration that I often give, probably others do this too, if somebody is about to step into, um, into the street uh, and let's say they're walking down the street and they're on their phone or something and they're not paying attention and there's a speeding bus coming down the street and they're not looking at it, are you just going to let them walk into the street or are you going to try and stop them from walking into the street and getting smashed and probably killed? Well, the answer, of course, is that you're going to do whatever you can to try and stop them from being uh, killed. And I think what we need to remember is that uh, sin is serious business. Um, You know, Jesus says in in Matthew chapter 5, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Uh, It's a big deal. And the problem, of course, with sin is that over time, if sin is left unchecked, the conscience becomes hardened and the individual can no longer distinguish between right and wrong. Well, we don't want that to happen to our fellow Christians. We shouldn't. Again, Christ has set us free in order that we might love our neighbor. And part of loving our neighbor is that whenever we see them falling into danger, and sin is danger, uh, we need to uh, be willing to properly love them. And sometimes the most proper love that we can show anybody is to uh, point out when they're in trouble. And uh, sin means trouble, and so we need to take care of that.
0: Yeah, I I use the image of someone who is going to walk into the Grand Canyon, just like all over the edge, as that image of of what walking into sin looks like. And there's a number of ways that you could picture that. But the seriousness of that, that love says no. To some things. Love says no to those things that are hurtful. Love doesn't just say anything goes. And and we know this in, in those kind of very drastic images, like we both brought up. We know this usually when it comes to raising children, that there are certain things that children may really, really want to do, but loving parents are going to say no, you can't do that because that will hurt you. We just need to, and, and the, the scriptures teach us to do this, we need to apply this more broadly to all sin and recognize its devastating effects. And we we talked about this in the last text, last the end of Galatians chapter 5, not only has the list of the fruit of the Spirit, but it also has the list of the works of the flesh. And within those works of the flesh, there are those that would usually get labeled the, quote, big sins, things like orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality, but there're also those that are labeled that we might label as quote little sins, things that don't don't bother our consciences maybe as much when we first commit them. Things like anger or jealousy or strife. And part of the what we talked about with that list is that rather than taking the big sins and lowering the way we think of those, oh they're not so bad. What what should happen instead is we should take those so-called little sins and raise the way we think of those and see those just as dangerous as we do the, quote, big sin, so that we take it all seriously. And again, I think that all comes together here in this this thought of chapter 6. When we see someone caught in those transgressions, we want to aim to restore them, because those sins, big or small, when left unrepentant, those are going to hurt us.
1: Yeah, they are. And again, you know, as you were saying that, I was thinking, if if I had fallen into temptation, I would want somebody to tell me. If I was in trouble, I'd want somebody to tell me. And again, this gets back to the whole idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. What would you hope somebody would do for you? Well, that's what you ought to do for them as well.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's real good. So so Paul says that the those who, when we see someone caught in a transgression, he says, you who are spiritual should restore him. What's the—who does he mean there, you who are spiritual?
1: Yeah, I suppose you could read that sarcastically if you wanted to, but uh, I don't really think that's what Paul's doing there. Um, I think by spiritual here, it's probably best just to look at it as those who are spiritual are those who have been baptized. They have the Holy Spirit. uh, And so therefore, really, everybody, Paul's entire audience here really is spiritual. Uh, That is that, and again, that gets back to the previous section of verses once again, you know, the, the works to walk by the Spirit, to do the works of the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit. The spiritual people do all of those things. That's the idea here. And so, yeah, since we are in the Spirit, have the Holy Spirit, then
0: this is how we ought to uh, behave. So it, it's not just the pastor's job. When, when I when I see someone caught in a sin, it's not my job to go tell the pastor so he can deal with it, but but I, as a fellow Christian, can say something?
1: Yes, you, as a fellow Christian, can and should. That's right, yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you are your brother's keeper, you know. Um, uh, it's, it is kind of,
0: it's not just left to uh, the pastor to do this work. That's right. Okay, so you who are spiritual, the whole whole congregation is a part of this work, and I think it's, it's important of what that work is. Paul says, restore him. So the goal is not to—and this is where the, the language of judgmental, we, we do want to keep in mind the negative context—the goal is not to get the guy out of the Church or to kick him out. The goal is to restore him to the fellowship of the Church.
1: Yeah, that brings to mind you know the way that church discipline works, or at least the way that it um, is designed to work anyway, is that our, our goal always whenever we 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 enact church discipline, whether it be just simply the minor ban, um, you know, that somebody would not be permitted to come to the Lord's table for a period of time, or whether it be, you know, the uh, the very end, which would be excommunication the goal is, is never to shun, uh, it's never to chase somebody away, but rather the goal is exactly that, restoration, as you said. Uh, you know, and, and when there is repentance, when there is desire for reconciliation, that's, that's, that's what we want, that's, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, and that's, that's hopefully the end result of such things.
0: That's right. So we're we're attempting to restore the brother who's caught up in transgression. There's something that that he needs to be restored from something bad has happened in this being caught of a transgression. He needs his fellow Christians to come and to restore him. And Paul says this should be done in a spirit of gentleness. What does that what does that mean?
1: Well, I think really kind of just what we talked about just a few seconds ago is really kind of that that idea of gentleness is is again we're not doing it in a mere, mean-spirited way in order that we can, you know, point out, you know, look at this guy over here, look at the terrible things he's doing. We should all make him feel like he's, he's an idiot and he's terrible and, uh, and he's going to hell. Uh, rather, we should have the attitude of, again, what do I desire for somebody to do for me? I want them to be gentle with me, point out my error in such a way that they're not doing it to embarrass me or to bring me shame. But rather, they are uh, doing it so that I would uh, turn from my sin and live, because that's what God desires. Uh, it's interesting that that spirit of gentleness. This verse, I was I was reading. Uh, you know, you talked about earlier saying that Lutherans tend to pick uh, Galatians as their favorite uh, epistle because uh, you know of Luther's affinity for it. I was reading Lutherans Galatians commentary on this earlier, actually, and um, he goes on a long he goes on a long section there about. Um, the sacramentarians, because uh, the proper application of this of this text, you know, and how do you, whatever we're talking about, dealing with somebody in a spirit of, uh, spirit of gentleness, uh, Luther really clearly makes the case here. We're not talking about uh, doctrinal serious doctrinal error here. We're talking about um, the 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 falling into temptation of the brother of the individual person, and the reason he brings that up is because what the the sacramentarians that's the the people that deny the the efficacy of the sacraments you know that they are not uh that they do not bring the forgiveness of sins and it's not you know specifically like with the lord's supper it's not the body and blood of christ so those types of things they were the the sacramentarians were basically accusing the lutherans of being mean-spirited because they're here they are just kind of haranguing against the sacramentarians all the time luther and those that followed him but um uh, but Luther, you know, makes the case there that this isn't really talking about that. This is talking about uh, the individual believer. Um, and I think there's something to be said, you know, and this might be a little tangential, but I'll, I'll talk about it anyway. There's something to be said about the difference between the falsely taught and the, um, and the false teachers. Um, the false teachers are publicly... Teaching something false, and so we—not that we need to make a huge show of it—but sometimes it's called for that that really false teachers do need to be publicly admonished, uh, and and not dealt with as gently anyway as you would with a person who simply succumbed to false teaching or has heard false teaching and quite frankly doesn't know any better. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so that's there's there's a difference there, and I think that's kind of what Luther was getting at in his commentary there as well is that. You know, when we're dealing with individuals, uh, individual members of a congregation, individual Christians, there's it's different than dealing with a false teacher or even like an entire church body that
0: espouses a certain false teaching. The distinction between a false teacher and a one who is falsely taught was going through my mind as well, and I think that is an important distinction to keep in mind. And I also like the distinction that Luther brings up about the difference between the doctrine and the life, that we're, we're talking especially here about sins in my life, sins that I've fallen into, and that need for gentleness. That doesn't mean that every situation that—I guess maybe I say it like this— the gentleness may not always look the exact same in every situation. And, and to that, I would just bring up the context of this very epistle. When you read Galatians, Paul doesn't always sound so gentle in, in his language <laughs> throughout this. He's maybe a little gentler in this section, although he's, he's not done with with some pretty strong words, I think. He doesn't always sound so gentle. And so the the spirit of gentleness, it doesn't always look the same in, in every single context. Mm. If that, does that make sense? there's yeah, going to yeah, be a directness in the gentleness sometimes yeah and it,
1: yeah right uh as as i've as, as i've told people before there that i I, uh sorry for my stuttering um i try to be firm but gentle uh sure you know whenever whenever i'm whenever i'm teaching people i want to be firm about what the word of god says but at the same time gentle uh and yeah that's not always an easy thing to do but but yeah i think that's kind of what paul's getting at
0: Sure. And maybe with a thought of firm, but gentle. So so gentle doesn't mean weak, but maybe it, it means strong in the right ways. So if you think about like when you hold a—adults know how to hold a baby because you know where you need to support weight and where you need to be very tender with your hands. Whereas, say, like a four-year-old or a five-year-old might have the physical strength to hold the weight of a baby— you wouldn't wouldn't put the baby into the four or five year old's hands unsupervised because they might apply the strength in the wrong places. And so maybe that's the maybe that's an image for this gentleness. It doesn't mean that it's weak, but it knows where to apply the strength in the right places in and again in the effort of restoration not of not of harm.
1: Yeah, I love that I love that visual too. I I remember when my daughters were young and they had um, dolls, uh, and we would watch them That's right. play with their dolls and they like yeah. throw them on the floor, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and my, my wife used to quip, don't give her a real one, you know? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But, you know, the same thing too, though, you know, whenever you like burp a baby, you know this, you have babies. Sure. Uh, you know, it, sometimes people will comment. I remember people commenting, boy, you're really hitting that baby hard on the back. And I'm like, well, yeah, we got to get the burp out, you know?
0: Right. <laughs> but, right. <laughs> Right, right. And so what, what maybe looks to, to someone looks like, oh, that's that's too harsh, is actually, again, the, the gentleness that knows where to apply the strength yeah. for the desired result, to to the point then that in this text, when Paul talks about restoration in a spirit of gentleness, doesn't mean you don't say the truth. It means that you know when to speak the truth and to do so for the purpose of restoring rather than tearing down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So again, to and, and that's important, I think, for us, again, in this context of a world that says, don't be judgmental, it's it's never okay to say that something's wrong. The Scriptures don't teach that. The Scriptures have of a way of addressing that which is transgression, that bring about restoration, and that's what Paul's got in mind here. Now to that end, then, he says to those who would be the spiritual ones to take care of the brother caught in transgression— he says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Why is that a necessary thing to say at this point?
1: Well, I think akin to, um, if you go back to uh, whenever Jesus talks about uh, uh, judge not lest ye be judged, right, it's, it's remove the log from your own eye before you uh, help your brother take the speck out of his own eye. And so we do need to be uh, aware of the fact that the same temptation that we are seeing our brother fall into is also something that we could just as easily fall into. Uh, and so we have to be careful that we ourselves aren't caught up into that same thing. Um, and and sometimes um, calling a fellow Christian out for uh, for something that they have fallen into, we can actually be tempted to fall into that exact same thing, just simply by nature of getting involved in the situation, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- there's a danger there. Just as easily as they fell into it, we can fall into it. So, um, and that that kind of really um, uh, kind of pushes us on into the verses that follow as well. The relationship between um, the the sin that our neighbor has fallen into and the sin that we could just as
0: easily fall into. Sure, and I, th- I think too, this matter of you know the temptation that might come when you are the one who is addressing a brother caught up in transgression there is that temptation to potentially fall into the same sin that, that you're addressing. I think there's there's a temptation as well, on the one hand, to, to maybe ignore it. So that, you know, as you, as you go to the brother who's been caught up in a transgression, and he begins to, say, try to justify himself rather than to simply confess and repent, there's a temptation to maybe hear those self-justifications and think, well, it's not so bad. And so on the one hand, you, you fall into the temptation of ignoring the sin, on the other hand, I think there's also the temptation that as you listen to his self-justifications and you realize those don't hold water, there's a temptation toward pride, to, to thinking that, well, I, I'm good because I got this right, and you fall into the pride that mm. then ends up denying the gospel that Paul's been emphasizing all along in this letter. Yeah, I th- that's a good point. Yep. Yeah, so there's again a number of reasons for care, and as you said, this kind of this starts to push us then into the rest of this this section where it, it seems you've got a two things going on at once. On the one hand, we are the church together, the body of Christ together that cares for each other, but there's also a, a sense of personal responsibility that that I have. I need to confess my own sins as well. Uh, both things are, are happening in tandem, it seems, in the verses that follow. So that begins with With bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ there in verse two help us into those words
1: yeah well the law of christ uh, is going to again take us back to the idea of why has christ set us free he set us free in order that we might love our neighbor and so what that means is that we we bear their burdens that doesn't mean because that could come across as saying that uh, you know basically just the opposite of what we just said in verse one that well, we're just going to put up with whatever they do and we're not even going to you know, discuss it or anything else. But when you think about how, I think it's helpful to think about how it is that Christ bears our burdens, um, you know that he, he bore our burdens to the cross. That doesn't mean that we never sin, but rather it means that our sins are covered over. Um, you, know, you look at um, the way that uh, Paul talks about husbands and wives uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, Uh, And the idea that the, especially the way that the husband is to relate to his wife, just as Christ relates to the church, um, that you have the idea of uh, Christ presents the church as holy and blameless. And uh, likewise, we present, uh, or uh, by we, I mean husbands, husbands present their wives as holy and blameless. That's why, you know, I always tell people, that's why, uh, you know, brides wear white on their wedding day. They're not perfect, but they're presented that way. Uh, you know, uh, to the rest of the world at that point in time. So, you know, that's that's what the job of the of Christ is for the church. And so now we're called to do that for others. We, we cover over their sins. That doesn't mean we never address any sins that they commit, but rather that, uh, you know, to, to look at like the Eighth Commandment, for example, we put the best construction on everything. Uh, so that does mean that we're going to recognize that, hey, you know, this person, this fellow Christian of mine is not perfect, uh, but but neither am I, um, and so I'm going to uh, at least uh, present them in the best light that I possibly can to the rest of the world.
0: Yeah, I, I'm reminded of the words of St. Peter in his first epistle about how we are to keep loving each other because love covers a multitude of sins and it sounds like saint paul is getting at something very similar here as he encourages christians to bear each other's burdens fulfilling the law of christ we're going to keep looking at this text from galatians 6 more on the other side of the break you're listening to sharper iron on KFUO. we're talking to pastor david Vandercook this morning we will be right back please stick around
2: lutheran church extension fund exists to support lutheran church missouri synod ministries and church workers how do we do this Your investment with LCEF makes it possible for LCMS churches, schools, organizations, and church workers to receive low-cost loans for new and growing ministries. And faithful Lutherans like you, church members, and church workers alike make that possible when you invest with LCEF. Learn more at lcef.org.
0: Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, February 22nd. We are studying Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 10 with Pastor David Vandercook. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and Shepherd of Peace Lutheran Church in Maumelle, Arkansas. Pastor Vandercook, prior to the break, we looked at verses 1 and 2 of our text. Paul said in verse 2, "...bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ." And then he continues from that verse, "...for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing..." he deceives himself. How does that follow? What is Paul saying in verse 3?
1: Well, in verse 3, you know, whenever we start to get into this business, and we kind of talked about it uh, with the last, uh, talking about the last verse a little bit, um, whenever we get into this business of um, bearing one another's burdens, and whenever we get into this business of uh, trying to restore our brother in a spirit of gentleness, there is a risk of being prideful. That is, we look at okay, they've, they've committed this sin, but I haven't, so I'm good. Uh, and you can actually get to the point where you think, I've really done something because, look, now uh, now that I've even gone further down this road of, of trying to call my brother to repentance, uh, I'm even more reinforced in the fact that I really am, I am a pretty good guy. Uh, and I, uh, and so that, that's the type of pride I think that's coming through in verse 3. When you think you're something, when you're nothing, you're deceiving yourself. Or you know to you know uh, as the as the confession of sins and divine service one and two goes uh, um, uh, if we say if we, we have, say no, we have sin, no sin yeah. we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us you know um, and so that's kind of the thing here that's happening is that we might get to the point where we think okay well our brother has fallen into temptation but I haven't therefore I'm without sin and uh, and that type of uh, sinful pride then comes uh, comes up to the surface.
0: Yeah, my my mind had also gone to the text from 1 John chapter 1 that's used in the divine service with that thought of deceiving myself and what that looks like that when I think I don't have any sin that's when I'm I'm deceiving I'm myself. I you know I think it's I think that danger for pride is there in the within that process of going to someone who has been caught up with sin when they when they don't repent. And I, I suppose there's even a, a possibility to fall into pride if they do repent. Like, look at me, I did it right. I, I got the job done. I brought them to repentance. And that that too I think is a, a danger for for pride to come in that somehow it was I'm so spiritual to use the word that Paul did earlier. That's why they repented, to take credit where it doesn't belong to you, it belongs to the the work of the Holy Spirit through the word. Yeah. Yeah. So so pride can, can creep in at any place, as, as we know as sinners, and Paul warns us against that at every turn in this text. So as the antidote to thinking that you're something when you're nothing, in verse 4 then, Paul says, Let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Take us into verse 4.
1: Yeah, I'm going to admit that uh, the the way this is worded kind of throws me a little bit uh, sure. as I look at it. But um, let let each one test his own work. That that probably is best to look at as in light of three again, whenever we're looking at uh, the sinful pride that can bubble up, as we just talked about. Rather, we really do need to uh, really give a clear examination of our own work, you know, and, and that comes from um, considering our place in life according to the Ten Commandments, you know well, you know, I might have thought, oh, I did a pretty good job of, of this or that, or I've I've steered clear of this or that sin, but but rather what we ought to do is, is test our own work. Um, this idea of uh, the reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, um, that perhaps too could uh, be playing, and, you know, uh, this could be playing toward the idea of, of sinful pride as well that we could be boasting in the fact that at least I'm not like that guy over there rather than um, boasting in what Christ has done for us.
0: Yeah, I think that's I think that's the way to take that second half of the verse uh, because we've seen elsewhere where Paul talks about, you know, don't boast except in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your your reason to boast is not in yourself; it's only in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, I, I think the the way to take the second half of the verse is what you're suggesting, that when it when it comes to the way that I look at my own life, my the standard that I use is not my neighbor. So when when I'm testing my own work, it's not am I closer to keeping the commandment than my neighbor is? Because usually we can figure out a pretty good way to to think that we are. We're pretty good at that comparison game. At least I'm not as bad at that guy. Rather, the testing of my own work is done, as you said, according to the Ten Commandments in the station and the vocation that God has given me, and when I compare myself in that regard, then then I have the the reason to boast or the the reason to see whether or not I match up with God with what God says is in the Word, rather than in how good my neighbor is or isn't.
1: Yeah, which of course brings to mind the um, uh, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector that Jesus uh, tells. Yeah. Right, you know. Tell,
0: tell us about that. Yeah.
1: Well, you have the you know, you have the Pharisee who is uh, boasting before God of his works. You know Jesus tells this parable, the Pharisee boasting before God of his works, um, and that at least he's not like that tax collector over there, or not at least. He just says, "I'm not like that tax collector over there. Yeah. Uh, and the tax collector is simply cries out, "God be merciful to me, a sinner." Um, you know, and and so there's there is that comparison game that gets played there. Uh, in that particular instance, and that—that that of course—is uh, something that we are cautioned against by by Jesus and by by the apostles as well. Here, um, yeah, I know that I I I, th- I think I I think we got it there. I guess this is why we call it iron sharp. Or we have uh, sharper iron, right? Because iron sharpens go. iron. So that's, that's right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and the, I appreciate you bringing up the the parable that Jesus tells there in Luke eighteen. Because he very specifically then at the end of that uses the language of justification, that it's that it's the second guy, it's the tax collector. Right. That he goes went down to, to his house. Yeah. Justified. <laughs> right. and I mean, yeah. then again, that, that fits in perfectly here. With the context of Galatians, in, in which Paul has been at pains to tell you, you are justified not by your works, not by your comparison to others, but only through faith in Christ alone. And so I think fitting that parable into this context is, is very helpful and, and very much uh, illuminates what's going on here in this text. Now, as, as Paul continues then into verse 5, he says, for each will have to bear his own load, which maybe sounds a little bit contradictory to some of the things we've been talking about. How does the the matter of bearing your own load fit in with the thought of bearing each other's burdens?
1: Well, I think first of all, we have to acknowledge the fact that ultimately um, my faith cannot save somebody else. Uh, and so, you know, I my faith can't save somebody else, therefore I ultimately am responsible where each individual is responsible for their own sin in the end. Uh, so we have that. So I, you know, it's a different kind of bearing that's going on um, in, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse in verse five, verses at the end of uh, or at, in verse two. Um, so the the bearing of <clears throat> the bearing of his own load is probably more addressing what's going on in verse four, where we're talking about how. Um, we need to not be worried about um, how we compare to other people, as we've just been talking about, but rather how do I myself compare to the standard that God has set in His law? Uh, that's that's my burden to bear, uh, and not not another's. Uh, I can't I can't just you know compare myself because uh, I'm, I'm going to compare myself
0: to the worst person rather than to the best person. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, I, I think I mean to to the point as you said, you know, you can't believe for someone else. And this is maybe—I kind of work my way to this parable, but the parable of the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids, as it's sometimes called, you know, by the end of that parable, five have oil, five don't. And the five who do have oil, they, are, they go into the wedding feast. The five who don't, there's nothing at that moment that those five bridesmaids can do for them. And so on the one hand, like right now, in, in this time, the day of salvation, we bear each other's burdens— and, and as much as possible, we encourage each other to keep our lamps trimmed and burning, as the song goes. But when that last day comes, ultimately it is m- whether or not I have faith or not, my faith isn't going to save you or someone else. It's only in, in I, I bear that burden. It's, it's my, I take responsibility and I don't get to say, well, well, Pastor Vanderkook, he didn't help me as much as I needed. And that's, I don't get to use that as an excuse. Yeah,
1: well, it's kind of like how at some point, you know, children can't blame their parents for their their, their right. circumstances in life anymore, you know. Yeah, obviously when children are young, uh, a lot of their, their livelihood and everything else depends on their parents. But ultimately, whenever they become adults, then it's time for them to um, to stand on their own, uh, as it were. Uh, and so the same,
0: yeah, it's true, true here. Yeah. So with this thought of, of bearing each other's burdens, but also bearing the own, their own load, this personal responsibility that does remain, in verse 6 you have this thought of, of sharing this togetherness in the Church, but it does seem that he he turns a corner a little bit. I, I'm sure these things are related. In verse 6 he says, one who is taught the Word must share all good things with the one who teaches. How what's Is he just changing topics? Is there a, a relationship to what we've been talking about? What's the move that he's making here in verse 6? Well,
1: it is it does seem like a shift. Um, you know, just at just at first glance, it really does seem like a shift into a different topic. But when you talk about those who are bearing um, bearing the burden, who bears the burden more than anybody else in the church? well, it's the the ones who basically know the people of the church more than anybody else, and that's going to be the church's pastors, um, those who are teaching in the church. They're the ones that are ultimately, um uh you know uh, bearing the load I suppose in a sense of the of the sins of their congregation is the pastors because mm-hmm. they're 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 constantly um, engaged in the lives of, of the people in their congregation uh, identifying the times whenever they need to call them to repentance or comfort them with the gospel one or the other uh, and so I think that's probably the best way to look at the connection there um, but, yeah, uh, I think so.
0: That's good. So what does, he, what does he say then? I mean, talk about the the teaching there.
1: Well, to put it bluntly, probably ought to pay the guy that teaches you the Word of God, uh, you know, and I know that sounds self-serving for us, right? But uh, but at the same time, you know, I can, I, I think, and, and you know, you and I are both circuit visitors uh, in, in the LCMS, you know, and so we, uh, part of that involves helping congregations through the call process. And so, you know, whenever we go, you know, whenever we get to the point where we're actually at a call meeting, then you actually have to, or or before the call meeting, I guess, rather, you actually sit down with the leadership of these congregations and you, you go through, I mean, basically, it sounds very uh, non-spiritual, but you go through what you're going to pay this guy, you know, yeah. what's the benefits package you're going to put together, that kind of stuff. And I think this right here illustrates the why this is important. Why? Because this is the one who is here to bear the burdens of the congregation. This is the one who is going to teach you the word of God, uh, and so let's see it that they're provided for. It's interesting in the in the Galatians commentary, Luther's Galatians commentary. He talks about how, um, at least in his context, it's almost uh, uh, it, it changes during his lifetime, but especially during his early time. Uh, you know, as when he was still within the umbrella of the Roman Catholic Church, if you will. Um, it seemed kind of a strange verse to apply to the church then because, as Luther says, all of the, you know, the, the, the clergy, they were like royalty. Uh, they lived very comfortable lives. And the reason why is because they were, they were basically um, usurping the authority of the state in a lot of cases. Uh, you know, you had, you know, I mean, the Pope had his own army and lived in a palace, you know. Uh, and you had the various, all the ecclesiastical leadership lived in, lived in luxury. Um, but as, as time goes on, especially the, the preachers that of the Reformation, especially don't have that same luxury. Um, and so, you know, Luther goes into how, Hey, you know, your pastor ought to be, ought to be paid. He ought to be able to make a living. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's one of the the things that again it's it's an awkward thing to talk about sometimes as a pastor to tell your people hey you ought to pay me or you ought to pay your pastors in general but that's that's kind of what he's talking about here you need to provide for those who provide you with the the good news
0: Sure. And and we heard him say the same thing in First Corinthians. We we talked about he, he even quotes from the book of Deuteronomy and, and uses a passage about an ox eating grain to say God didn't he wasn't talking about the ox. He wants you to to care for the person who's proclaiming the word to you. And again, it, it's not meant to be self serving. It's it's about the office that God places. If if this is something that is as valuable as God says it is, the proclamation of the word then we should support that proclamation of the word among us, that it's it's a response of thankfulness to what God has given. Yes, I want this to continue. I I realize the great riches that God has given me by the proclamation of the gospel in this place, so I'm gonna support that proclamation. And it's, it's less about I, I pay the pastor because I like him, but rather I make sure there are the resources in place, and our congregation make sure there are the resources in place to support a proclaimer of the gospel and a faithful one at that. It's, it's not about the individual man that's fulfilling that office, but it's about, this is something that I value, because I know how precious the gospel is. I want that to continue here, so I'm going to support that. I'm going to share all good things with that one who is here to teach me those things." Yeah. Yeah. So then he continues then, don't be deceived! And we get, again, some strong language here from Paul, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And he uses that language of, of sowing and reaping. We've got an agricultural image here of sowing either to the flesh and reaping corruption, or sowing either to the Spirit and reaping eternal life. Help us into this image and the way Paul uses it here in verses 7 through 8.
1: Yeah, obviously this throws us back to the earlier descriptions we had at the end of uh, chapter 5, uh, dealing with the the works of the flesh versus the works of the Spirit, and so if we engage in the, the works of the flesh, then we're going to reap corruption. If we uh, engage in the works of the Spirit, sow to the Spirit uh, versus sowing to the flesh, then uh, then we'll have the reaping of, of eternal life. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's about the, the best way to put it, I think, is that we're really seeing an extension of what we saw back in chapter 5 and also evidence that this, uh, you know, again, the, the sowing and the reaping obviously kind of tie into the one who teaches as well what is the one who teaches what is he sowing well he's he's hopefully sowing the things that are of the spirit uh, that lead to eternal life
0: yeah so this this applies both to the one who would support the teacher but also to the teacher himself that is the the teacher sows the word of God he should he should expect to see a harvest of eternal life same with the one who hears the word of God that as as he goes through the and lives in the fruit of the spirit that he too sees that that harvest now we don't always see the harvest right here and right now faithful Christians know that faithful pastors know that 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 sometimes the harvest doesn't come when we want it to and I think that's where then he goes into verse 9 don't don't Let's not get weary in this. Take us into to his encouragement.
1: Yeah, it can certainly become growing weary of doing good, right? Well, if we if we grow weary of doing good, often it's because we do good and we don't see the results we want. You know, we do the things that we think are right or that we know are right, but yet it doesn't seem to get us anywhere. Um, and so the temptation then is to say, there's no point in me doing these things. And that's where, of course, our focus as Christians is. Is always on the resurrection uh, life and the resurrection rather than life here and now because the truth is that of course as long as we live in this world uh, we will constantly be dealing with um, uh, dealing with things that are opposed to God and his word that are opposed to the spirit that rather uh, seek to gratify the flesh rather than uh, doing what God desires and so, yeah, we can grow weary of it because we think, well, here's all the you know the evil are prospering all around us. Why am I not prospering? Well, maybe maybe the maybe it doesn't do any good to do good, and instead um, I might as well just live how I want to live, and it doesn't really matter. Um, and so this this tells us rather to uh, that that in due season we will reap, and the due season that we will reap, in ultimately is uh, you know. When Christ returns to judge the living and the dead, then at last will we for sure reap uh, the benefits of our sowing of um, uh, sowing to the spirit. Um, and then, of course, the very end of the verse: if we do not give up, well, I, that that quite frankly points to the giving up of the faith. You know, uh, don't don't give up, um, uh, don't forsake the faith, don't um, uh, don't uh, don't
0: reject God and His Word. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's more than just just keep trying or just keep swimming, sort of thing. It's it's don't <laughs> don't don't give up the the faith. Yeah, I like that. I think that's that's really helpful. I think that the the mention of this due season here also uh, there's a connection. Previous, it's not quite the same language that I, I if I'm looking at the Greek correctly here, but I think there's a similar image with this thought of the due season it takes me back into Galatians chapter four where Paul talks about the law being our guardian until Christ comes, and that happens at the time appointed by the Father. And so when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son. So we've, we've seen historically how God brings about the appointed time for salvation. We've seen it in the in the incarnation, the birth, death, resurrection, ascension of his Son already. And seeing how he has brought that appointed time previously, now I think gives us this courage to continue to do good because we know he's going to bring another due season. He's going to bring about this time that he has set at the end to to bring us into resurrection. So, Pastor Vanderkoek, let's then move into the last verse of our text, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. What does Paul say in that final verse of our text? Yeah,
1: really, and it really is kind of a summary statement here. So we've said, you know, hey, um, don't, uh, don't grow weary of doing good. Instead, as we have the opportunity, do good to everyone. So... You know, again, this goes back to what is the law of Christ. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. Let's do that, uh, and let's do that especially for those who are uh, in the household of faith. Again, as we said from the beginning, this is really about how we treat other people that are that are in that are that are fellow brothers and sisters in the faith. We treat those people differently than we do. It's the same way that you know. I, I mean, obviously, it's the same kind of idea that we have with our family who are the most important people in our lives? Well, it's our family. That's who we need to take care of. If we can't love our family, how are we possibly going to love anybody else? Uh, and if we're not going to love those that are in the household of the faith, how do we expect to love anybody else in the world at the same time? But there's a different measure of 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 love and care that we have for those that are in the household of the faith. You know, this is illustrated back in the in the Law of Moses, where, you know, he gives provisions for the Israelites that um, they're not even supposed to charge interest on loans, you know, to each other, but you know they, they are permitted to charge interest on those who are outside of the, the the nation of Israel, but not to the not to your own people. You treat them differently. There is a different uh, level of love that's given to those who are within the household of faith.
0: Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit more about what this means, where, where Paul says, you know, in both of these verses, let us not grow weary of doing good, and then here in verse 10, let us do good to everyone. That sounds—and I think you've, you've started to, to help us keep this specific, but in our world today especially, you know, do good, be nice. These are such generic things that perhaps are, are misunderstood. What does this—what does it mean in a Christian context to do good, as Paul says here?
1: Well, I think a helpful place to to go for us, especially because we have it at hand, is to go to the Catechism, looking at like the Table of Duties, for example. You know, uh, Luther collected that group of Bible passages for us to to kind of outline what our life looks like as Christians, uh, first of all. Uh, And it is, and I, I kind of glossed over it just a few seconds ago, but he does say at the beginning of verse 10, do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. So obviously we're doing good to everyone. But yeah, there is some definition that's given there by the scriptures, like I said, in the table of duties and places like that, that take into account what is our vocation, what's our station in life. Um, And so what it looks like to do good in one area of life is going to look different in another area of life. And then of course also, keeping the greater context of this section of verses in mind, we have to remember that doing good uh, you know, as you said, is not, well, you you hinted at it anyway. Uh, it's not just simply a matter of, hey, be nice to everybody, because sometimes things that are, that are considered by the world to be nice are not really uh, nice. Uh, and among those is, again, restoring the erring brother uh, in a spirit of gentleness, you know. Uh, that's not going to look like good and nice always to the world, uh, but it is good. Uh, it is something that we ought to do. And so, uh, we shouldn't grow weary of doing that either, um, you know, of of helping our brother whenever they've fallen into temptation, uh, helping them to see the the error that's there uh, and the seriousness of their sin that they
0: might be restored. Pastor Vanderker, we have about two minutes left on the morning. Help us to wrap things up on this text from Galatians 6. What's, what's the warning? What's the encouragement from this text?
1: Well, I think the warning is that, first of all, uh, you know, as we talked about in the toward the beginning of our conversation, sin is a big deal, um, and sin drives us away from Christ and who He is. Uh, we cannot think that somehow we're going to live in immoral lifestyle, uh, and we're going to uh, we're going to get out uh, unscathed. We need to be recon- uh, we need to be recognizing the fact that it's a big deal. Uh, you know, just yesterday. Um, was the was uh, Sexagesima in the in the one year lectionary, and so we we had the parable of the sower as our gospel reading, and the the third of the the types of um, soil or places where the the seed falls in the parable of the sower is that it falls among the thorns, and uh, Jesus says that the seed that falls among the thorns represents those who hear the word of God, come to faith, but then they are um, uh, they're overcome by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. Whenever we look at the cares and riches and pleasures of life, um, some on some level, it's unavoidable that we're going to be among the thorns of the world in some way. The cares and riches, and riches and pleasures of life are always lurking, trying to draw us away from the faith. However, there are certainly times whenever we walk directly into those thorns, um, thinking that somehow we're going to make it through and it'll be fine, you know, uh, that we can expose ourselves to all kinds of temptation and it's not going to be a big deal. Um, But, you know, the fact is that uh, we're we're overestimating ourselves. We're thinking we're something when we're nothing if we think that this kind of stuff is not going to affect us. Uh, And so we need to be careful about how we live our lives and also we need to be um, aware of uh, our Fellow Christian, how they are living their lives, and and we are responsible for them. So the warning I think is really that uh, we need to avoid uh, the temptations that we are that we can avoid. Uh, certainly, temptations are going to find us no matter what. Uh, but there are also times whenever we wander into them, um, thinking that somehow it's not going to affect us negatively. Uh, and so that would be the warning. But I think obviously the the the, the promise here is that um, in in doing good in uh, in, in indeed, restoring our brother, and in indeed, in in, in our trying to um, to do what is right, uh, we will ultimately reap those rewards uh, because that promise is given us in Christ Jesus.
0: Pastor David Vandercook serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and Shepherd of Peace Lutheran Church in Maumelle, Arkansas. He's been helping us today to study Galatians chapter six, verses one to ten. Pastor Vandercook, thanks for being our guest today. Good to be on with you again. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Galatians chapter 6, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Showing support for KFUO is now easier than ever. You can sport a KFUO shirt, swag, or even socks by visiting our online store. Go to kfuo.org/store and order high-quality KFUO branded merch. You no longer need to wait for our annual shareathon for a chance to show your KFUO spirit. Visually share and wear this ministry out in the world by checking out our selection. Every purchase helps to support our proclamation of Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Go to kfuo.org/store.